Hello, and welcome to War Council. Um, my name is Caleb Dillon. My name is Justin Jones. And War Council is a podcast about 40K, things 40K related, and things war gaming related in general. Um, Justin, how are you tonight? Doing all right. How are you? Good, good. We're finally back on the air. We had a brief hiatus. Our lives have been kind of busy recently, but we were finally able to get back on the air. Um, there's a lot to talk about tonight, so I don't want to waste a lot of time with chit-chat. I want to just dive right in. Um, the meat of the show tonight is definitely going to be about Space Marines. Uh, they are the next codex coming up on the block, and GW has been really stricking, sticking to a really nice, tight schedule, releasing a new codex every, I feel like it's every other month, and then in the off months they do like an army book. It's been, it's been pretty consistent throughout the whole 2013, I'd say. Um, so it's a pretty hectic schedule, but it's exciting. It's fun to see a new book come out every month. And the next one coming up is, is Space Marine. So I know you're, you're a big Space Marine player. Are you excited about it? Yes, sir. Cool. Well, um, so we're going to talk about that today, and we've got lots of other stuff to talk about. But we'll start off with a little lookout, sirs. And uh, first up, we want to talk about the new 40K mini rulebook. Now, they just released a new – it's kind of like a, a little black book you'd see on their website – um, now, this is very similar to the, the little mini rule book they released in their general uh, uh, box, the Dark Vengeance box set. Um, that was a really popular book. People were picking it up on eBay for 20 30 bucks all the time because it's small, it's portable, it's lightweight. Um, and now they just released this new version. It's basically the exact same book. It's a little prettier. It's $50. Um, its big claim to fame is that it has three ribbons in it so that you can mark three sections of the book at one time so you don't have to flip back and forth quite as much. Um, I like it. I think it's a little overpriced at 50 bucks, though. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, the big draw for the 6th edition, if you buy the hardbound, which of course I do have myself, was the artwork and whatnot, and in addition to the rules and, and the fluff, but I think 50 is a little high. Yeah, it, feel, it feels like they're kind of like taking advantage of that just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and, and especially considering the main rulebook is what, like 85? And you're talking about a much, I mean, for value-wise, I want the main rulebook, but I also like the portability of the small, and I felt like they should have done this more like, I don't know, like 30 bucks or $35, like a supplement, yeah. uh, make it a little more accessible. So, yeah. Anyway, but that has hit the market, so we will expect to see that coming to game tables soon. Um, in addition to that, they just released their Black Legion supplement for the Chaos Codex. Now, this is their third supplement uh, for a codex after um, the Eldar supplement Eandon and the Tau Farsight Enclave. Um, I have not had a chance to look at this firsthand, but I've had a chance to read many of the reviews. Rob Bear over at Spiky Bits always does a really good job getting his reviews out early, and he gave his two cents, and he gave it a thumbs down for the most part. Um, what have you heard about this so far? Uh, not, uh, not a whole lot. I mean, of course I've seen stuff over on Bell of Lost Souls, but if it follows, since I haven't actually read it yet, if it follows the Farsight expansion, not worth it. I mean, it seems like all these expansions give you about two pages of rules, which doesn't seem like a lot for, you're basically paying the same price for these you pay for a codex, you're paying 50 bucks. Yes. So I, I would expect, I kind of want like an alternate army list, not just a few alternate units. Um, yeah. Like I want several units, like five or six or eight units, because I think in my opinion, it doesn't cost them anything to print a couple extra pages in the book. I mean, all they need to do is throw in a few extra units, and they don't even have to be units they release. Like in plastics, maybe they're just like the old Razorback, where they didn't actually have a, a kit for the Laz Plasma combo, but you could custom build it yourself. Maybe they had something like that. Like, 
I don't even know what I, I expected. I mean, I, it's just something Black Legion flavored, something very old and very veterany. And it seems like a lot of the complaints about it are that you have to give um, the the veteran ability. What do they call that? Uh, Veterans of the Long War. Veterans of the Long War. You have to give that to everybody. Which, although I agree with in fluff sense, I, I don't. I understand why the competitive gamers aren't caring for that. You don't want a whole army of elites if you can avoid it. Uh, yeah. Those extra point sinks don't always pay off. Um, so, you know, I'm eager to see it in person, but so far it feels like, it feels like the community has mostly said no to this. I haven't heard anyone say, here's the, here's the great part of this codex. I, I think if they knock the price down a little bit, yeah. uh, it would be more palatable because at, as it stands, like, again, I read the Farsight expansion. Great fluff. Love yeah. the fluff. Yeah, I've heard uh, good stuff about it. In fact, in fact, it makes me want to play a Farsight Ar- uh, Enclave army, but... And here's the the caveat: not worth, uh, not not worth what you're paying for it. The book, or not worth the the army. The the book is not uh, worth paying for at its current cost. So yeah, I imagine Black Legion follows the same template. I, I guess the argument is that they have an iPad version, which will be a little bit cheaper. I think it's like thirty, maybe. But we don't all have iPads. I don't have an iPad. I don't. For me, that's not an option. Right. Um, if they made it a digital PDF, I think that'd be great. Um, like if it's something I could download and print myself, but I think they're trying to restrict that. Um, so that's yeah. kind of a bummer. Uh, and I haven't heard anyone say like, "Here's the great new toy in, in chaos." Like I, I know there's I know there's a new weapon or something like that, some sort of new mace or sword, but or maybe Drachnian has a new profile. But there hasn't been like a black mace in the supplement that I've heard of so far. There hasn't been like that one thing. Uh, like, what's that tome in the Demon Codex that allows you to make a unit like a 3-plus invulnerable unit? Uh, or some book. It doesn't matter. There's none of that in this book. I haven't heard anyone say, like, here's the great thing. The one thing I have heard is that you can ally with Black Legion as a Chaos Army and you can get four Helldrakes. So, you know, it feels pretty cheesy, but that seems to be like, look, if we're going to push it, this is what we can do. Yeah. Um, okay, so there's that. Uh, Space Hulk... Uh, I am a fan of Space Hulk, have been since it came out. Certainly since the re-release, I play it a couple times a year. I really enjoy the game. And it just got re-released on Steam. Um, Steam picked up the license to do the game as a, uh, a Steam video game. It's a downloadable video game for about 30 bucks. Um, did you ever get to play the Space Hulk re- the re- when they redid it a few years ago? Uh, I've, I've seen it played, and I wanted to play it, but uh, by the time I got around to buying the board game, everybody had sold out. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it sold quickly. It sold out. It was one of those games that even now on eBay, it goes for easily $150. Um, yeah. I've got a set that I'm painting up slowly, but it's, it's sort of a back burner project. Um, so we pretty much play with it unpainted. But So the Steam version of this is basically the exact same game. They took all the missions, they put them all in there. They do give it cinematics, which is fun. I like that quite a bit. We'll have a load on the, a link on the Facebook page for it. Um, I, you know, I, I saw a playtest session. The playtest session was, was kind of, frankly, kind of boring. Like, And I don't know if it's because the guy was busy spending time explaining it versus just playing it, but I wanted a little more cinematic. Like when I watch a video game for the first time, like the trailer... I want that two or three minute cinematic that gives me a feel for it. And I knew they had some of that on this, but I just didn't see it. Like, I, occasionally I heard one of the guys say something. I'm sure there's some sort of cinematic at the start of the game that I felt like would have set the tone, but they just didn't show that, and I felt like that was a, that was a trapping. Um, 
not there's not there wasn't really a whole lot because I watched some YouTube videos of it because I, as soon as I heard it was coming out, I was like, well, this is going to be cool, you know, for all of us that missed the board game. Yeah, and the the intro cinematic wasn't anything spectacular. I mean, it certainly wasn't. That's a shame too. <laughs> it certainly wasn't like the Dawn of War. Warhammer 40k Dawn of War cinematics, but yeah. those are pretty hard. Those are pretty hard to top in fairness. Yeah, they are. Those are amazing. Um, yeah, yeah. they don't really. I don't feel like they need a lot. Like the cinematics that I did see of the in in game play were kind of were pretty cool. Like I liked when you saw like all of the weapons from the Marine side were glowing. They all had flickering fields of energy around them. When the yeah. Marines got attacked by the Steelers, it was pretty devastating. Like all of that looked really good. I liked the yeah. environments. I liked the skeins that they had going. All the backgrounds looked really neat. Um, the 3D atmosphere was fun. So I, I definitely think this is a great opportunity for them to allow players to get access to this. Um, yes. So I think that's fun. They have one upgrade for it. You can add a $2 skin change, um, which allows you to change the color of the gene stealers. But there's no new missions yet. And I thought that was kind of an area they could have developed. I would have liked to have seen, like, I don't know, $2 for a new mission. Like, give me something else to, like, entertain me. Because there's only, I think, 15 or 20 missions in the original book. Um, and you burn through those pretty quick. If you're a consistent player, you'll burn through those in a, in a few months if you're playing, like, once a week. They uh, did say, I, I watched an interview with them a while back. They did say they planned on doing, well, additional skins, uh, not just for Gene Steelers, but for the Marines. But also, uh, they talked about adding additional missions. Yeah, I'd like to see that. I, I think that would be an opportunity. Maybe even... If I heard this right, maybe even uh, map editing tools so you can make your own missions. And that's kind of fun. I think that yeah. would be interesting too. That gives you an, that gives you added diversity. Um, yeah. So that'd be kind of neat. Maybe like even a chess match style format where one person plays the Gene Stealers and one person plays the the, the space. Yes. Machines. That would be kind of fun. So just keep in mind that it hasn't even been out a month yet. That's so true. That's fair. Give, give yeah. them a little time. That's fair. I'm not. I shouldn't be so critical. You're right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we'll move on to sit rep. Uh, and this is the segment of the show where we talk about what's on our workbench and what sort of games we've been playing recently. And Justin, I know you've recently incurred some physical uh, deformity that will no longer allow you to quite uh, work on your workbench for the time being. You want to talk about that at all? I failed my armor save. You failed your armor save. <laughs> um, I was actually on Skype yesterday uh, talking about Death Watch, which I'll get to my Death Watch stuff here in a little bit. But um, I, I, I fidget when I talk. I can't help it. And I was playing with a pair of scissors, which is probably not the smartest thing to do when you're talking about, you know, when you're so wrapped up in what you're talking about. And I wasn't paying attention, and I took the tip of my lift index finger right off. Yee. So uh, I've done I've done worse uh, with exacto knives. That's not the worst injury I've ever taken, but uh, it's it's not comfortable. And we'll just you know, yeah, yeah, no doubt. I can I can imagine. Um, did you go to the hospital or did you just decide to rough it out and be tough? I just I, I mean there wasn't really much to. In retrospect, and even at the time when I was I immediately ran to take care of it, I realized that there wasn't anything they could really do. So I just cleaned it up and wrapped it up, you know, and I've been keeping an eye on it. It's interesting that I've cut myself many times with X-Acto knives, like cleaning mold lines and stuff, but I, I can't say I've ever done it on the phone. So it's interesting that although you're an avid war gamer, the one time you do cut yourself very deeply, 
you're playing a game, but you're not actually building a model for the game. Right. Like it's a role playing game. It's kind of a it's kind of a, a backwards way to to go about getting injured. Yeah, that's that. I, I think though the worst thing I've ever I have ever done to myself though is I was working on some lizard men. And I did. Uh, it was actually on the same hand, funnily enough, different finger. But uh, was it your? Domi- actually, is it your dominant hand? Maybe it's. No, I'm actually right-handed. But I was holding the model with my left hand and using the blade with my right hand, and I got distracted. Surprise, surprise! And uh, I wasn't paying attention, and I I got a pretty nasty cut on my left ring finger. Yeah. So, and being who I am, I just cleaned it up and then w- went right back to what I was doing. You know, yeah, sure, makes sense. Only thing you can do. <clears throat> yeah, I would agree. Um, unfortunately, you know, cuts like that are the name of the game. So yes. at the time, you were busy playing Death Watch, and this is your ongoing campaign. Yes. How's that going? Um, we are about. We, we actually our, our characters have just entered a Tyranid hive ship. Uh, our mission is to. You guys haven't been haven't been around that long, though, right? Is, is this kind of a I mean, I don't want to say like you're level one, but are you kind of level one Space Marines at this point? Uh, we're actually ranked two right now. Okay. And um, we've got. Uh, it's kind of cool because our boarding action was done with a Kaistus assault ram, you know, like the Forge World model. Yeah, that's fun. So we, we actually got to jump onto a Kaistus and uh, we went in like that. But uh, we have to find, a Nor- find the Norn Queen and. Uh, collect some genetic material from her and try to get out of the hive ship while simultaneously doing as much damage to it as we can. Makes sense. Um, what, do you, uh, what, do, what do you think your chances are in that hive ship? <laughs> Not good. Not good. Um, um, have you guys had any character death on the party so far? Uh, it's been really close. The, the last mission uh, before, or a couple missions before that, uh, we had to kill a broodlord, and my character had four wounds left. Out of how many? Just uh, twenty-two. Yeah. So okay, you were you were down pretty low. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's vicious, and ha- being that I haven't played Death Watch, it's a little hard for me to put into context. But I have played Dark Heresy, and I do know how brutal that system can be. Um, and I, I do know that bolters are just ridiculous. So I can't imagine what Gene Stealers look like on paper. <laughs> Le- so. they're, they're they're lethal. They they could potentially one shot a Space Marine. Yeah, I feel like as they should be able to. Yes, um, I agree. Um, okay, so that's going pretty well um, for you guys. You guys play like once a week or once every other week? Uh, we try to play once a, once every Saturday, or we do it every Saturday. Um, and, yeah. No, go ahead. That's fine. Uh, we have a time. It, it's a little awkward because my two friends are, two of my friends are on the West Coast. One friend's in Texas, and I'm here in the Midwest. So, right. It's a little awkward, uh, especially for the guys in California, because they have to get up at eight, you know, to get started. You know, so for me, it's okay because it's eleven here. But still, I mean, but we make it work, and it's great, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's an early game. There's no doubt about that. Um, so, I mean, kudos to you guys for for being committed enough to do that. And I think sometimes when we get into this age group, when we're into our thirties, it's kind of one of those facts of life that we just sort of. We have to be prepared for the fact that we're going to be playing at weird times. Yes. You know? Like, we're not going to have that Friday night, 8 o'clock till 4 a.m. pizza beer game right. that we had in our youth, even though it would be fun. But frankly, at this point in my life, that's past, it's kind of past my bedtime. Yeah. Like, I, I, would, I would pass out at 4. <laughs> like, I'm not. I, a, I'm I not can't even make it till 
I can't even make it to one, let alone right. four. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. But it, it, it's cool that you guys are, are still making that work. I think that's great. And we had a, 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 a Dark Heresy game we were trying to get off the ground with me, you, and some friends. And, like, our schedules just, just didn't collide. It just didn't work out. So I'm glad you guys are making it work on your end. Yeah. Um, on my end, I had one game. Uh, my friends Spence and Will were prepping for a local con. Or not a con. I guess just a tournament. Um, so they had like a local tournament of, I don't know, maybe 30 people. So there was a doubles tournament and they each had a thousand point army on the same force organization chart. So I guess it's a 2000 point tournament. And, um, so they were playing that and they wanted a test game. So my, uh, I brought out my Tyranids. I hadn't dusted them off in a while. All the near Tyranid rumors had me excited and, uh, I promptly got pretty stopped. (laughs) They were, they were playing their uh, new Tau, um, Chaos or not, not Chaos Space Marine, a regular Space Marine army, an Ultramarines army. So Spence was using the new towel that I just painted up for him, and Will just got his Ultramarines back from a company called Fourth Company Librarium, which took a little while to get it back to him. But um, but they did a really good job. They had a good synergy. Unfortunately, they did not do well at the tournament. So uh, although they were able to learn a few lessons from playing me. Uh, they didn't learn quite enough. So I, I don't think they actually played a Tyranid player there, so I don't know if playing a Horde army was helpful to them. So that wasn't wasn't so great. Um, but I did add a couple of units after the game to the army. I realized that that, that army, which is what I've been trying to sell for a little while, had a few holes in it I wanted to plug. So I added a Flyrant with um, Twin-Linked Devourers to it and a squad of um, Zoanthropes to it. And I painted those up in the same desert Tyranid scheme, and that was a lot of fun. And so I added those to the army, and it's still for sale up on eBay, but I didn't add any price to it. I felt like I would just add more bang for the buck. So easily a couple hundred dollars more worth of value to the army, still selling for the same price. Um, so I'll post a link up in case anyone's interested. With, uh, with Tyranids coming up in November, I think it's a good time to start to, start to build your collection of your swarm. Um, so those were my games. I only had that one game, and the workshop right now is kind of a wreck because we're cleaning it out in order to get it um, worked on. We're getting it insulated, and we're painting it, and we're staining the floors, and we're giving it a power wash, and you know all that good stuff so that I'll be able to work in there year-round. It'll be clean. It'll look, more, it'll look better. Um, we've already done quite a few things. We've had an air hood installed. We've had an air conditioner installed. So it's coming right along. But unfortunately, right now, all of my garage, my entire workshop is like in my dining room and in my living room. So my wife isn't isn't terribly happy right now. Um, but she's at least understanding of the fact that this is a, a short-term problem for the long-term greater good of the cause. Um, so I've been working on, um, I have one client project right now. I have a client who has an Eldar army. It's a small 10-bike squad army with an Autark and a squad of Wraith Guard. And I've been working on those. Um, so that's been fun because it's, I'm not able to work in my workshop. I've been working in our guest room, sort of set up a temporary station up there, which has been pretty great. It's actually fine. It's, it's better lit than my garage, so that's been nice. Um, but it's working with red, which is always a challenge because it's, um, what do they call those guys, the red... Uh, LR, the oh Lord, I can't think of what they're called right now. They have the snakes on them. Um, anyway, but it's a red army, and so working with red is always a challenge for many painters. And the canopies on the LR bikes had to be masked off to create very, very clean stripes, and that was a challenge. I had never done masking like that before, so it was a good opportunity to learn a couple new new things and sort of get that going. So that was kind of interesting. Nice. Yeah. So keeping busy. Um, Okay, so let's move on to the main topic of our show, the meat grinder portion of our show, 
and we are going to talk about Space Marines. Um, so the new codex is coming out. We just got the official word today from GW. It's coming out on the 30th, so four days away. Probably by the time this podcast airs, it will be already launched. Um, and various rumor sites, including Bell, including um, uh, other sites like Fate 212 and, and all, the, all the classics like Spiky Bits, all of those guys have, have posted you know, tons of links, tons of rumor mills, tons of like sort of compilations. Have you had to kind of look over all those? Yeah, I actually was reading, rereading them before we actually started recording. What are you, do you have a general feel for the way the codex is going? Like sort of like a if you had to give it a thumbs up, thumbs down the way it's going right now with the the direction it looks like GW's taken, what would you say? Um, I think understanding well, that we haven't read the rules, of course. This is just sort of a what do we do we think this is the right direction? Uh yes, actually I do. Okay. Great. Do you um what did you like or not like about the old codex? Like what what's the uh, what do they say when the codex starts to feel old? What's feeling old about the old Space Marine codex at this point, do you think? Some of the ridiculous builds you would see with special characters. Yeah, some power lists out there. I would agree with and, that. And and you know, just other little things in the old book that didn't really make any sense. Like, for instance, why wasn't a Landspeeder Storm a dedicated transport for scouts? Why did you have to burn a fast attack slot to take that? It just didn't yeah, really make any question. sense. I didn't actually know that, but that's actually a good point. And I hear the dedicated transport argument quite a bit, actually. That's a very common argument people talk about. We've had debates about this before, about how much should a Rhino cost, how much should a Razorback cost, for which factions, etc. So that is kind of surprising. Those force organization charts get really... <laughs> they get chewed up really fast, depending on the way you want to build. Fortunately, one of the new rumors—I I hope this one's true—is that Landspeeder Storms will be dedicated transports. But the other thing I think that makes me happy with the new book is that, based on the rumors, uh, we we Dark Angels players aren't going to get as screwed over as we got last edition. With the with the updated when Fifth Edition Space Marine Codex came out, it basically rendered the Dark Angels book completely useless. Yeah, I think that happens with every codex like that. Like the Black Templar Codex, certainly at this point is showing its is showing its age. Yes, um, but yeah, I, I can definitely see where you're coming from there. I still feel like the new the old Marine Codex, if we can call it the old Marine Codex, still has quite a, it still has legs on it. It still it still plays a good game. Yes, um, I, I don't think that it's really that age because they don't let it get that age. They they replace it every three or four years. It's one of those codexes that it's a bread and butter codex. It's by far. I mean, we looked at the reviews on our last podcast about how many people play Marines, so it behooves yes. GW to re-release that on a very regular basis. And they usually do with a after a new edition comes out. That that yeah. seems to be the standard uh, approach they take. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so Bell, we're going to use Bell as our source for this, just because they're they're super comprehensive. Not that there's anything wrong with any of the other rumor sites out there, and to be fair, Bell usually takes everything and sort of puts it together and puts it conveniently together. But that's what I like about Bell, is they put yes. it all together in a nice little convenient thing. Um, so do you want to start with the chapter tactics and sort of do a loose overview of those, or would you rather start with the regular rules? Let's just go with the... We can start with the chapter tactics. Okay, great. 
Um, so they took most of the main chapters, I'll say, and they kind of put them in there. They gave them all chapter-specific rules, which I, I think is pretty great. They kind of had that in the old codex in that you could buy certain characters that would allow you to swap out chapter tactics. Uh, now it's a little looser, I feel like. I, I don't necessarily think you have to take those special characters to benefit from that. Like, you don't have to take Shrike to benefit from the Raven Guard chapter right. tactic. So right. that's great if you don't want to take Shrike, for example. Um, and they've also got your own, you, you've got successor chapters, so you use the roles of your, the rules of your parent chapter. They made an exception for Black Templars. I don't know if that's because Black Templars is a parent chapter. I don't know enough about the fluff to know for sure. They're Imperial Fist's second founding. Okay. So then they're just special because they yes. have their, because they're so sort of, I guess. They're not a codex chat. They don't follow the codex of Stardis. Right. So, so kind the, of on their own. Yes, they're very different. Yeah, um, and, and that's reflected in the fact that they have their own codex. I mean, they've always been kind of out there on their own. I've always had a sort of soft spot in my heart for Black Templars. I really like them, so I'm hoping those guys will come back fun. Um, they've got homebrew chapter rules again, it looks like. Um, you can pick any chapter you want and use the special characters of that chapter. And um, those characters have to use the same chapters from the same chapter they're from. So I don't know if that's a huge change. I mean, that's kind of what I expected. Um, in the past, I feel like two codexes ago, you could kind of make your own chapter. You could kind yes. of write your own rules. The, is this the, tra- the trait system? Right. Is this kind of a take back to that, or uh, a more balanced approach? I believe. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to uh, elaborate on that at all? Like, well, there were some things in the was it fourth edition? Yeah. Let's yeah. Think. It was fourth, wasn't it? I think so. That. There was some, I, and I can't give I can't give any examples, unfortunately, because it's literally been almost a decade since I've seen the fourth edition book. Yeah, but it has, yeah, it's been a while. that makes me feel old. Um, <laughs> there were some combination rule combinations from the fourth edition book that were just ridiculously broken. And yeah, sure. The these new chapter tactics, while they definitely provide some really interesting benefits, on the other hand, they don't look like they're game-breaking, and there are some things that you have to do now uh, in order to take those tactics, or you can't just say, okay, I'm going to run Vulcan Heston, and I'm going to put him in an Ultramarine's army and use the Ultramarine's tactics, but with this Salamander's character, you can't do that now, according to the rumors. That's a good thing. It keeps things balanced. Yeah, sure. Um, it looks like you are able to ally with other chapters from the same codex, which is interesting. Like, you can take, let's say, an Ultramarine's main detachment and ally with, let's say, a Salamander's detachment. Yes. Um, which is, I, I think, great, um, because that sort of gives you the feel of two armies in one army, and it allows you to have a lot of flexibility, which is fun. Um, anytime you have tactical flexibility I feel like it's a good thing Um, do you think that's going to lead to some really broken combinations once more though? inevitably yes but fluff wise that's fair I mean I I feel like you see alliances in codexes, non-codexes in books all the time Yes. Um, so I feel like this is a a great opportunity for, well for me it's a great opportunity for conversion and for people who want to buy an army it's a great opportunity for painting where you don't have to play one solid color army you can and play something different. For somebody like me, with my Dark Angels army, I can fill gaps. There you go. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. If you have something like, let's say, a White Scar army where it's a lot of fast attack, maybe you want to combine that with, like, let's say, Iron 
I heard that Iron Hands is that them? A heavy, yes. You want a heavy support army, you know, someone who can really or Imperial Fist or something like that. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into the nitty gritty. Just, just let's analyze a couple of these. We don't have to do them all, but let's let's take a look at a couple of them. Um, the Ultramarines is by far my favorite. I I've always kind of liked Ultramarines because I like that whole Roman feel they've got, and now I feel like you've got more reasons than ever to take them. Um, so they've got three different doctrines that I can see. They've got Tactical Assault and Devastator. Makes sense. Tactical units, they're specifically, this one allows you to reroll ones while shooting. Um, so units in a tactical detachment, basically, I guess a tactical squad, get to reroll ones, unless they're tactical marines and they reroll all failed to-hit rolls in the shooting phase. So again, if you're tactical marines, you get to reroll all failed to-hit rolls in the shooting phase. That feels broke <laughs> just that feels wow am it's, i am i off here or is it it's it's a one use it's one it's one use per game thank god is that one use per army per game or is that one use per squad per game uh i think it's the way i read it is one use per army so if i have six tactical squads not that i ever would but if i did i would only be able to do that with one unit uh Yuri. You could, well, it would be, you pick your turn, okay, this is how I'm interpreting this, so my my interpretation might be off here, but if you decide to invoke the tactical doctrine, then for that turn, all of your tactical squads, say, would get to re-roll their shooting attacks, but only until, you know, the the end of the turn, uh, and then after that, it's, you know, it goes back to normal. You know, okay. so it's it's not it's not something you can keep using because oh my god that would be terribly broken. Yeah. Okay. Well, the fact that it's once every once per game is a little better, I think. Um, yeah. Assault units uh, can reroll their charge range. Feels pretty good. Assault squads, bikes, or attack bikes instead have fleet, and which is great, I think. And then devastator yes. units may reroll to hit reroll to hit rolls on snapshots, including Overwatch shots. In addition, they have relentless unless they are, in, are unless they are disembarked from a transport in their movement phase. So they can reroll snapshots, including Overwatch. That's pretty fun. I think that's great. Actually, I kind of like that. Yes. Um, in addition, models have the relentless unless they are disembarked from a transport in their movement phase. I don't really get that. I don't really understand where they're going with that. I think the idea is that if you have a Devastator squad, say with um, I don't know, multi meltas that only have the 24-inch range, and you decide that you want to pop a tank, but you're out of range, and since they're relentless, uh, you can move them up so they can take that shot, unless you're disembarking them from a vehicle that turn. Oh, I see where we're going with that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of good tactical uses for that particular doctrine I can think of. Nice. Okay. Um, all right, well, that makes sense. Um, is there any of these chapters that you particularly were drawn to? Did you Was there any of the doctrines that you were like, these guys are amazing? Yes, I like the Ultramarines one, and I also kind of like the Raven Guard. Uh, maybe that, their doctrine, it's, it's actually more their special character, uh, Shrike, the ability he does that I like. But mostly, I, I think the Ultramarines one are, are, is, is really good. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, let's look at Raven Guard. So they have two. They have Strike from the Shadows, which is models in this detachment have the Scout special rule. In addition, on the first turn, models in this detachment have the Stealth special rule. The units that include 
models with the bulkier, very bulky special rolls do not benefit. So they have Scout, and then on the first turn they have Stealth. Stealth gives you plus one in cover or plus two in cover? I can't remember. It's plus one. Okay. Or, a six, or a six plus cover save if you're not in cover. So they have Scout, so they move up to their, their edge of their deployment zone. They Scout the first turn. They move about six inches up or whatever. And then they're getting a plus one cover save. So that's pretty good, I would say. Yes. Um, and, you know, that's... But again, this being a, a doctrine thing, does that mean that it's only usable once a game? So you have to use, I guess you have to use that in tandem. If you have multiple squads that have this, you're going to want to do that for all of them. Well, considering that it's what it, what what it says in the first game turn, I guess. Yeah, so it is once once per use. But the other tact, uh, the other chapter doctrine that I really like is the one with the white scars because I'm just thinking how many shenanigans I can do with my Raven Guard as ally, or not Raven Guard, but my Raven Wing as allies. Well, um, we'll jump up there in a second. Let's let's look. Yeah. At, let's finish up Raven Guards because they only have one more. They have one called right. Wings of Deliverance, which allows them to jump infantry models in the detachment may use their jump packs in the movement and assault phase. That's great. Yes, that's, that is. That's a lot of fun. Uh, yes. Okay. White scars. Uh, born in the saddle. Models in this detachment with the biker unit type automatically pass dangerous train checks. Uh, receive a plus one of their jink cover save. That's pretty good. In addition, add one to their strengths when resolving Hammer of Wrath. I like that. That's fun. Yes. <laughs> that is awesome. So when they hit, they hit hard. They've got a better jink save. So normally when, you have a, normally when you're turbo boosting, I think you have a four-up jink. Yes. So this will give them a three-up cover save when they're turbo boosting. That's pretty good. That's, down, that's damn near like Eldar jet bike good. Plus the fact that they ex- essentially ignore dangerous terrain. That is awesome. That's very good. So they can jump over anything, pits, you know, whatever. Yes. Great. They can go through fences. Fight on the move. Uh, models in this detachment have hit and run. I would have figured that was the case. Not that this. Note that this does not include models in Terminator armor, Devastators, Centurions, or Assault Centurions. Um, not that we fully understand what that means yet with Devastator or Assault Centurions. Although what I know of Centurions so far is basically they're the good guys version of what eventually became Obliterators. Um, like the Devastators and the Assault Centurions are kind of like Obliterators and whatever the chaos equivalent of that is, but a hand-to-hand version. I forget what they're called. Maulers or something like that. Yeah. Mutilators? Mutilators. That's it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are big guys. I wouldn't expect them to be able to do it. So fight on the move. So that means when you combine that with your bikey white scar guys, they're moving through anything. They're getting a really good save. They're hitting hard when they attack. And when they're done, they can fall back. And because their bikes are falling back 3d6. Yes. So that's pretty good. So they're they're what white scars I feel like they should be. They're lightning quick. They strike in, they strike out. Um, is there any other of these doctrines you want to hit on real briefly? Those are the big, those are the highlights for me, I think. I feel like I should hit Salamanders just because it's one of those fun chapters. And on top of that, it's, um, we'll talk about this later in the show, but there's a Heroes for Help Foundation coming up soon, and they're building or they're building it right now, and I'm, I'm trying to get involved with the project, but they're doing a Salamanders army, so it's on my mind. So Salamanders has always been one of those armies that's been very popular because of the whole twin-linked flamer melta thing that Vulcan gives them. I think they're still mostly getting that. Um, so now they've got Flamecraft, which is allows their models to reroll saving throws against wounds caused by flamer weapons. Uh, and they can reroll failed two wound rolls and armor penetration rolls that don't cause a glancing or penetrating hit. So flamers are, 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 are quite good there, I'd say. Um, yes. 
So that's pretty neat. So they can, they're, they're not only better at resisting them, but they're better at using them. Um, so that's fun. And then Master Artisan, during the army selection, each character in the detachment may upgrade one of his weapons to have the Master Crafted Special Rule at no additional cost. That's okay. I don't know if that's exactly what I expected for Salamanders. Um, I felt like, I, I guess the idea with that is that Vulcan is a Master Artisan himself. Yes, so all they, of, kind of they are, that. yes, they're all artisans, they're trained artisans. Right. Okay. Um, so for those of you who are interested, we're not going to go through all of these. There's just a few, but you can certainly check it out. We're going to upload the Facebook link to the, um, the page uh, or to the Bell, the Bell of Lost Soul link to our Facebook page. So you can click on there from there. Of course, you can check it out on Bell of Lost Souls if you haven't already um, or Spiky Bits or any of those wonderful sites. Um, okay, so let's look at the other side of this coin, which is the, um, the general rules. They're sort of... Uh, they call it the rumor summary on Bell, um, but really it's just kind of a Q&A session, it felt like. Like yes. someone apparently interviewed someone in the know and was just like, is this the case? Is this the case? How much does this cost? What are the points on this? How did this change? And someone gave very clear, very concise answers. Um, a lot of these are, are you know, I'm not gonna, we're not going to do all these because there's a ton. Is there any highlights from this reel you want to kind of glance over? Uh, not, not in specific, well, there might be a couple specifics as we go down, uh, that you might trigger, you know, memories for me of it. Cause there was a lot to read as you just uh-huh. said, but, uh, what I've noticed consistently are point decreases in a lot of units. Yeah, that's fair. Um, there's a few exceptions to that rule. Like even on right here on the top page, for example, do stern guard combi weapons still cost five points? There's an answer. No, they're 10. No. So those went up by five. Yes. But in a lot of cases, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Um, like, for example, halfway down the page, how many points are the last cannon and missile launcher upgrades on Centurion Devastator? Well, that doesn't really help because we don't know what their basic point is. Yeah. Um, but like Tactical Marines going down two points, Devastators going down two points, to, to line up with the Dark Angels book, um, Scouts are going down two points. So they basically made it sort of code or minus with the Dark Angels book. Is that what we're saying? Yes. So everybody got in bed together, and they're all kind of rumbling around in the same, like, well, sheets. This got really dirty all of a sudden. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's been a long day. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go down a couple things. Does Cassius have Zealot? Who the hell is Cassius? He's a Ultramarine's chaplain. Okay, so he's a Zealot, apparently. Um, do anti-aircraft tanks have an alternate fire mode that lets them shoot at the ground targets? No. Uh, thank God. I think that's kind of great, actually. I, yeah. I would hate that they were able to do both. I mean, and you're a historian. Is there, aren't there tanks? Have we had tanks in our military that are great at shooting down planes, but not so great at shooting flak? You know, like not so great at, at ground targets? Um, not in our, well, not necessarily in our military, but during World War II, the Germans had an anti-aircraft gun, the 88 that was not only good at killing aircraft, but really good at killing everything else. Okay. Well, there you go. I think one or the other is kind of a, a balancing act. They want to make sure that you're yeah. not. And they've got some new tank that they've talked about quite a bit. I don't remember the name of it, but it's got two different guns. They can shoot at two different targets. It's, it, I think it's an anti-aircraft tank is the idea. Yeah. And it's got these really neat legs on the side that make it look like it's kind of like securing itself into the ground. Which is fun. It's way different than what I expected. Um, 
from my point of view, I want that thing just because of the, the conversion potential for different models. I love big mechanical legs. That yeah. thing screams Adeptus Mechanicus. Um, and I've been itching to do an Adeptus army for years, so that's just a golden opportunity, I feel like. Um, and anytime they give you extra guns like that, I think it's always fun. Yes. Um, all right, let's see. What else do we have? Um, how much do Relic Blades cost? Chapter Masters and Captain Gitter for 25 points. I don't really remember what Relic Blades do. Uh, plus two to strength, and they went down five points. Okay, there you go. Uh, plus two to strength is pretty good, actually. Yes, what's the very AP, good. What's, now, I guess as a relic blade, is a, is a sword, is it AP3, like most power weapons, that sort of thing? I would assume it is, yes. Okay. So here's some fun stuff. This is what we want to talk about is grav guns. Can bikers take grav gun options? Yes. Okay, that's fun. Um I don't really remember exactly what grav guns do. I looked at the profile once, and I thought, that's interesting. Um, and then I kind of moved past it because it didn't, like... It felt balanced to me, which is not a bad thing, but it was one of those things where it's like, eh, it's balanced, so I don't have a lot to say about it. I think grav guns wound you... Uh, the, the, what I've been seeing is they wound you based on your armor save. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, I don't remember their AP being terribly great, though. I feel like you still get a, a decent armor save. Is that right? I saw two earlier. Really? I could I'm be wrong. Way, I'm way off there, maybe. I, I don't know. I, it's th- That's the problem with these rumors, is that they're so inconsistent sometimes. Yeah, fair enough. Um, camo cloaks now give you a plus one cover save, or a six plus if you're not in cover. I don't remember what they did before, um, but that sounds pretty fair, I think. Yeah, I, that sounds like that's what they've always done. Maybe I'm missing something, though. Yeah, I guess so. Um... Let's see. They have an entire section on Black Templars. Do Black Templars get access to Biker Scouts? Yes, they have access to everything except Librarians. Do they not have Librarians because of their sort of chapter rules, like they hunt everything that's witchy so they can't have Librarians? Yeah, they, they have a real problem with Psychers. That's interesting. So that must be, I wonder if that's, that must be a challenge for Black Templar players, to play an army without Psychers. Um, well, one of the rumors down there was one of their doctrines I think they can take is they their deny the witch rolls are a lot better. Um, so chapter masters on bikes can unlock bike squads of at least five models as troops too. Yes. Okay, so bike squads of five and yeah, I seem to remember this from the last codex that if you took certain characters like the White Scar um, Lord, what was his name? Um, Corsaro Khan. Yeah, that's him. Uh, he, he allowed you to unlock biker squadrons, but he also, I feel like if you took a lord on a bike, you also unlocked it. You didn't have to take Khan to do it. Yeah, it was called the mounted assault rule. Nice. I, I tried a bike army once. I had a rough time with it. Um, Spence played a Dark Angels bike army that was just devastating. It was disgustingly good. Because <laughs> um, he took the, that banner of devastation, and he yes. just used it, he used it the way it was meant to be used. He was really good with it. Um it was it was pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like I haven't heard a lot about that recently, though. I feel like it was kind of a fad, and it kind of passed out already. Like, the last couple of cons and the last couple of tournaments I've seen reviewed, I don't hear anyone talking about that. Uh, that's because everybody's really jumped on the Tau bandwagon. Yeah, that's fair. Um, plus, Necrons are still quite a force to be reckoned with. I still see tons and tons of Necrons. Yeah. Um, okay, so mostly these seem to be just rules redos and price differences and this is really kind of nitty picky stuff it's really not 
it's not what I'm interested in. Yeah. Like, I imagine as competitive players, this is what they're interested in. What I'm interested in is the new models and where those are. And why haven't I seen a picture of this giant walker people have talked about? Is it out there and I just haven't seen it yet? Like, they talked about this giant, like, bigger version of a dreadnought slash smaller than a dreadnight. Yeah. I've seen, like, some fake pictures. Like, Goat Boy did a really good, funny fake picture of one. Uh, where he was holding, like, he had drawn one up that was holding the hand of a Dread Knight, which was funny. <laughs> but, like, I haven't actually seen this model, and I'm surprised. Like, I've seen I've seen the Centurion, and I've seen the, the tank thing. Um, but they're really keeping a really close lip on that, or we've all been duped, and there is no Giant Walker, and they were lying. Um, the we- rumor I saw, the, what I was reading through earlier... Um, said that, that the walker, the big walker, isn't coming. Is not coming? Is not coming. That would make sense as to why we haven't heard it. So do you think that it was a lie, or do you think it was just... you think it's going to be in a second wave? Do you think there's going to be rules? Because I'm not seeing any rules about it in this list. I'm not seeing any rules for, like, what's the giant walker called, or what does it do? I, I just think it was a maybe wish listing by some fans or maybe a misunderstanding because the with the centurions maybe that's people were getting info about that not necessarily realizing or understanding what those exactly do yeah i I think the centurion looks pretty big but i still think it's based on a 40 mil so yes maybe they thought maybe they looked at the scale wrong like maybe yeah. they saw that and they were just like, "This thing's amazing," and clearly it's as big as a dread knight. And they're like, "Not so much." Um, so maybe that was the problem. Maybe that was the confusion. Or maybe it was just one of those false leads. I know that I've read articles before where people are like, "Look, we lied about this. Um, we just wanted to troll for this." Yeah. Um, so maybe that's it. Maybe there is no big unit coming. Which I it, think it was, is a shame. I would love to see yeah. a giant walker for the marines. I think that'd be fun. It, it was like back in the day when the Darker Angels rumors had just gotten started, and one of them was supposedly that Azrael would, if you had him in your army, he would confer some rule where your plasma guns never overheated. I do remember that. We were going to talk about that on a podcast, and we never we never got around to it. Um, that would have been awesome. <laughs> I would have, yes, I would it have, would. I would have loved that, and that would have been devastating. Uh, maybe it was a beta rule that just never made it to the final cut. Yeah. So, uh, Okay. Well, you know, I'm excited about the Space Marine Codex. As we've talked about before, Space Marines are played by something like 30, 50% of players. So if you're, if you're, a, if you're a, a, a painter like me, you, you should be painting Marines because they're out there and they're in force. Um, and uh, if you're not a Marine player, they're, they're just about to come out, so maybe think about picking up an army. The great things about Marines, I've always thought, is that they're cheap to pick up. Because there are so many points per model, you can pick up an army for you know three four hundred bucks, which is not really cheap, but it's not terribly expensive when you compare it to like a horde army. Uh, right. And they're fun; they're a very forgiving army. I feel like Marines are one of those army where you can make a few mistakes and you still can do pretty okay. Whereas if you play like a horde army or an army that's very delicate, or even Eldar, I would say in a lot of ways like Glassheimer style armies, you make one or two mistakes, you're done. Yes, like you, you, it does. It has a less forgiving rate, but that power armor really lets you take some abuse. Um, in that game I played versus Spence and Will, I think I killed one model. <laughs> like, wow, it was it was devastating. But to be fair, like, you know, 
I just I, I am not the player they are. Like they just play at a different level than I do, um, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. They're just they're just they bring it. <laughs> yeah, they come to win, and to be fair, that's why they compete. Um, okay. So let's move on to uh, rules of engagement slash pop quiz. And Justin, it is your turn this week. So what's it going to be? Is it going to be a rule of engagement or is it going to be a pop quiz? In keeping with my fluff nature, fluff-oriented nature, and in the spirit of the upcoming Space Marines Codex, uh, I have decided to ask you to name as many Space Marine special characters as you can in under a minute. Now, to help you out a little bit here... (sighs) Uh, you know, you how, can you know name, how I feel about fluff. You know how you, I... you can name characters from other Space Marine books, such as Dark Angels, Blood Angels, uh, Space Wolves. So I'm not going to be that cruel and keep it to just the vanilla book. Well, fortunately, I played Space Wolves for about a minute. So I did, because they were fun to convert, so I did play at a Space Wolf army. So I definitely think I'll take that K-Bot, and uh, I'll definitely take advantage of that. So, Okay. Uh, I am prepared to fail utterly. <laughs> All right. Uh, I have a stopwatch here, fortunately, and I will zero it out, and I will hit start, and you will just have to trust me when I get to a minute. Okay, are we ready? Yes, go. Okay. Uh, all right. Ragnar Blackmane. Uh, yes. Storm Stormcaller. Yes. <sighs> I feel like there's a guy who jokes a lot. Loki or Loki. I don't know his name. Okay, let's move on to another chapter. Uh, Marnius Calgar. Yes. He sounds right. Uh, Cassius, we just talked about him. Yes. The chaplain. Um, how about Vulcan Heston? Yes. Uh, who's the big Iron Fist guy? Uh, okay. Pedro Cantor? Yes. That sounds right. Um, uh, uh, Shrike? Yeah, uh, yes. Uh, okay, good. Uh, who else do I know? What's that guy's name in the Space Wolf Codex? The, the guy who's the jokester. Uh, Loki, Loke, Logan, Logan. Uh, uh, I will give you Logan because that was a character. Logan! Logan! Logan, yeah, Logan Grimm. Uh, okay, I've only got a couple seconds. How about... Uh, Course of Ocon. Good. Okay, yeah. that's a minute. Uh, you were thinking of Lucas the Trickster. Damn it! That's who I was thinking of. And he was the one that we talked. I think I talked about him on our last podcast or our apocalypse podcast, where he used to be able to basically one shot an Imperador if you knew how to do it. That was pretty fun. I do remember that because we outlawed that in our game. <laughs> <laughs> we decided that was no that was no fun. Uh, okay, how many did I get? What did I get? Like I I got twenty. Yeah, I think I got twenty. Probably yeah, uh, over ten. <laughs> over about ten. ten. About ten. Not you about did all. Right. You did pretty good. Eh, did okay. Considering I've never played uh, Marine Army other than Space Wolves, I'll, I'll, I'll call that as a, as a neutral. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's our pop quiz. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with the pop quiz, it's just basically we either challenge each other to our 40k fluff knowledge. Actually, that's not true. Justin challenges me, challenges me to 40k fluff knowledge. I don't ever challenge him. I know that's a lost cause. Uh, but I challenge Justin to rules questions because I think those are, by, in my opinion, more interesting. Yeah. Okay, um, keeping with the spirit of Space Marines, um, we're going to go into our Precise Shot segment. And Precise Shot is where we talk about a specific one thing, whether it be a new release or a new product. could even be an old product. could be a blog. We really don't define it. We just say this is a spotlight on one particular thing. Um, so a few weeks ago, I was working on a uh, Chaos uh, 
Tower of Zinch, which I'm still working on, but unfortunately it's kind of kind of been put on hold for this client commission. I, I always take my client commissions first to do those. So it's been put on the back burner, but I ordered some special cannons from this company in Russia through eBay, and they took typically a long time to get here being from Russia. But I, I went to their website, and I noticed that they do some special um, sculpted figures, and I think they're in plastic, but I haven't ordered them yet. Um, and although their site is is in English, it's one of those sites where it's been translated probably through Google Translate, so it's kind of rough. That being said, I, I can vouch for their product. Their product is really great. Um, so they have four special characters that they've released underneath um, uh, on their site. And they don't call them Space Marine special characters. They call them... Uh, it's something weird. It's something like... Um, well, hold on, I'll pull up. Dark Solemnity is what they call it. So we'll put a link to their site and then just click on Dark Solemnity. Now, the site's called Murder Frost, and I'll, I'll be clear, it's a smaller site. It doesn't have a lot of stuff. It only it has less than 20 products. But all of the products are really high quality. And what's really great is that all the products are really cheap. Um, so they have four characters on there. They have one guy called Lord Blind Portend, Lord Kill Frenzy, Lord Lion's Bane, and Lord Tenacity. And... Uh, Lord Kill Frenzy is, is clearly a Cornish kind of guy. He he's basically he looks like an Angronish character, and they've painted him up to look that way. Um, and Lord Lionsbane by by default also looks like a Dark Angels character. Lord Portend looks like, and I guess by Portend they mean like Portend, like you know that basically kind of means like ill omen or bad omens or something like yeah. that. Yeah, um, which makes sense because he looks like Magnus the Red. It, from from his red hair down to his armor down to the weapon he carries, um, and then the Lord Tenacity, uh, it looks like a lot like a Mortarian, sort of a pre-heresy Mortarian. Um, I think all of these guys are based on 40s. They all look to be about Terminator size, and they're all great. And what's even better is they're all cheap. They're twenty dollars a piece. Wow. Um, if someone contacted me, and this did happen a few weeks ago, someone contacted me, and they're like, "How much to do a custom um, Lionel Johnson?" And I was like, well, you know, and, and I never say like ten dollars. I never, I never give them a price off the top of my head because I'm always like, look, it depends on the budget. If you give me twenty dollars, I can build you a certain model. If you give me eighty dollars, I can build you a better model. It just depends on what you're willing to pay. Um, this site kind of took all that and sort of stole it out from under me because if you want to buy these models, they're way cheaper than I can convert them for. Like if you want to buy a Magnus the Red looking guy kind of figure, if you buy a Blind Portent character. Um, he's great. He looks amazing. He's well sculpted. Uh, so I, I want to buy a couple of these just to see how they come in. I want to see if they're in, are they in resin? Are they in white metal? Are they in plastic? I bought a couple of her kits and they were in plastic and they were really well done. I, I think they're great. Uh, I don't know if she hasn't been singled out yet because she she clearly doesn't call them you know anything space marine like lord kill frenzy is not a violation of any sort of copyright but right um but it, it looks it's clearly anger on um but anyway it looks amazing if you're looking to pick up a cheap primark i can't recommend this site enough um the only thing i'll say is that being that it's a russian site be prepared to wait you will be waiting a while um so that's the only thing i'd say it took me about eight weeks to get my order in and unfortunately from russia that's pretty normal um, i've ordered yeah. from russia a couple times and it, it takes time uh, but anyway, if you're looking for what I'm calling the Primark and a can, it's fantastic. And we'll put the link on the site. Um, okay, well, let's move on to, um, this will be our first time doing this new segment we, we, we've, we've termed In the Trenches. And In the Trenches is kind of a, a portion where we talk about what it is to try to 
own a game store, open a game store, be, I guess, a, a retailer in the, in the miniature industry. I do not have a game store, but a few years ago I tried to start one. I tried to launch one. Unfortunately, I ran into a lot of financial difficulties, as everyone does. I was hoping that the, the white metal would have picked off more by now, and I was hoping that I would have a, a more, more capital now to invest towards it. It hasn't happened. I haven't given up on that dream, but it's one of those things that it's a really long time coming. Um, so it's just one of those plans you have to just have to work towards. Yeah. Um, anyway, to make a long story short, sort of go into what happened here. So in the trenches, we like to, I like to talk about the challenges of, of being a game store and what it takes to be, get there. And so recently we had a game store in Raleigh um, uh, close, and there's about five game stores in Raleigh spread around. For those of you who aren't native to North Carolina, which I assume most of you aren't, um, the, the Triangle area, as they call it, is basically four or five cities all sort of circled around Raleigh. Not unlike the way L.A. is sort of built up with many, many cities that kind of make up L.A. County. Um, or the way New York has all the different boroughs kind of spread around. It's, it's kind of the same basic idea. Um, so in Raleigh, there's about five or six game stores spread around maybe a 30-mile radius. And one of them in particular closed. It was a store very close to me. It was the closest store to me, actually. It was very close to me physically. Um, and I liked the owner, but it was a smaller store, and it just didn't draw a big crowd. And finally, after about four or five years, they closed. Um, they had a display case that they were selling, and um, the owner... He was a very nice guy. I talked to about him, and, and he had a display case, and he was going to sell it for a couple hundred dollars. And I was like, that's a really great price. I looked at the retail cost on it. It would go for two or three times that. And I was like, that's fantastic. I was like, I would really love to take that. Um, the problem is, is in the meantime, between the time he started selling and the time that I was going to buy it, uh, my, you know, we decided to remodel our garage. So there's just nowhere to put it right now. So I, I got the idea. I was like, all right, well, I'll contact a local game store, and I'll, I'll see if I can get them to maybe allow me to put this, the, the case in their store, pay them a rental fee, because basically I'm leasing advertising space. Yeah. That's what I'm effectively doing. Um, so I contacted my, my other favorite game store. There's a game store in, in near here that I really like. I, I always have a – I pre-order codexes with them. Every time a codex comes in – they just hold me a copy because they know I'm going to come get it. So I have a good relationship with them. I have one of the painters that I used to employ works there. So I like the store quite a bit. So I contacted them and, and gave them my, my proposal, said, hey, look, I'd like to put up a cabinet in your store. I'd like to pay you an advertising fee. Maybe we can share space. You know, Maybe we can offer a discount on, on clients who buy models through you to commission models for me. So we'll basically run my commissions through your store. I thought it was a pretty decent idea. I offered some other stuff. I was like, I can teach some paint clinics. I can teach some airbrushing clinics. You know, I, I can, I can, you know, do some terrain building clinics and lots of things I'm comfortable with. Um, ultimately, it didn't work out. Like, ultimately, they decided it wasn't right for their store. So I went to the next store and I contacted them about the same thing. Never heard back from that store. That store didn't even bother to contact me. Um, finally, uh, a friend of mine was like, "Look, don't even bother with it. You know, you've got." at this other store a little farther away. He's like, they have empty cases. You can advertise your wares there. And I was like, great. So I contacted them and they never responded to me. So at the end of the day, I ended up with no case (laughs) and no ability to display. And even if I had bought the case, it would have been stuck in my house. And I'm not sure I learned a lesson here. I'm not sure what the lesson would be other than just, I was hoping that with any friendly, because we talk about friendly local game stores a lot, and we talk about the relationship between gamers and the owners of the stores and the symbiosis that exists there. And game stores rely on us to supply them with 
you know, product, supply them with money to pay for their product and basically to come in, fill seats, and then buy stuff, buy their food, buy their drinks, right. buy their models. And I thought this was an opportunity for a cross-platforming where I would help them, they would help me. And I was disappointed. I was sorely disappointed by the outcome. But I do have to respect the business in this case that, that told me no because it was like they were just he, – he was very clear. He was like, look, you know, this doesn't fit our bottom line. I don't see how this benefits us as a store. Um, and I get that from a business point of view, but I, I, I couldn't help but feel sort of let down. I kind of felt like – and I, I didn't tell the guy I felt let down, but I told the guy, I was like, look, you know, like I will bring you more business. And if I don't bring you more business in six months, I'll take the case away. Like, give it a six-month window, see if it works. If it doesn't work, I'll gladly take it away. Um, yeah. And it was still sort of a shoot-down, and I was I was saddened by it. I was hoping that it would turn out differently. but So it was interesting, and it's made me sort of think about friendly local game stores in a new light. Not in a bad way, but just more in a way that, well, they're friendly, but they're still a business at the end of the day. They still have to do their own thing. Um, so that, and maybe they just didn't really comprehend what it is you were trying to do. Maybe not. I, I don't think it was for lack of trying on my part, because I sent them yeah. like a three or four page proposal, so it wasn't like it was just like, hey, uh, I like games, and you know. <laughs> right. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't nothing. Um, but Yeah. It... Anyway, so that was, that was interesting. And not to say anything bad about them, and I'm not going to name any of the stores, because I don't want anyone to, to sort of, you know, contact them on their forums, because I like all of the stores in my area, and I like having a good relationship with them, I just, I, this was one of those opportunities where I felt like, man, it would have been a great chance for me. And maybe that's part of the problem is that, you know, how do I put this? You know, I'm always looking for opportunities to sort of expand my business. And right. when, I, when I run up against a wall, which happens quite a bit, it's always disappointing. Uh, but then again, new opportunities crop up, new things happen, and, and then it's very pleasing. So um, anyway, it was just kind of interesting. Okay, so let's move on to Overwatch. Um, so Overwatch is where we talk about rumors and gossip and what's coming up down the pipeline. And what's coming up next is Tyranids. They are the next thing up, and I am very excited about that, being a Tyranid player. I've been a Tyranid player since 2nd edition, so at this point, my entire 40k career, I've had a Tyranid army in my case at one point in time or another. Um, at one point in time, my army was absurd. Fortunately, I, got, I, I downgraded back to a normal size. Um, but Tyranids have always been a real labor of love for me because they're that army that you can convert quite a bit. Next to Chaos, they're probably the most convertible army. So for me, it allows me an opportunity to build new models, to kit bash, and just to have a lot of, of fun with them. What do you? What are your thoughts on Tyranids? Do you do you like them? Have, have what kind of experience do you have playing them? Uh, they were actually the second army I bought uh, for 40k the second real army I bought. Oh, yeah, because you like, can sign some of your models through me. I forgot about that. Yes, and I bought them with their fourth edition book. And I don't remember what kind of army I was running at the time. Uh, I know I had a Hive Tyrant and some other things, but my problem with the army is I just couldn't get them to work. And then when the fifth edition FAQ came along, it kind of gutted the army. Like the... The the one that always jumps out at me is where they said, you know, the shadow and the warp that would affect psychers. Uh, that yeah. ruled, okay, they, the, the one, and th this might have changed, I don't know, but the last time I saw the ruling in one of the FAQs, it said that 
you, that uh, that power could not work on anything embarked in a transport. Yeah, I, I think that is that is the case because the idea is that when you're in a transport, you're effectively, for game terms, not on the board. It's it just seemed. I mean, yeah, I, I could see that, but it just seemed to me that somebody got upset that their space marine librarians weren't able were were being screwed over even inside a rhino and it just it just and and, it, and again it, it it might change now or there there might be some other things here where i'm just being too cynical but you know it was just little things like that that made me go what you know or the the mesetic spore pod thing that certain creatures could not fit inside those i mean the big ones i get but like uh, I remember there's something that could not fit inside a, a mesetic spore pod, and I'm like, really? You well, know? I mean, you can fit, like, one Carnifex in there, but you can't put, like, a Hive Tyrant in there. Uh, yeah. Even though they're basically the same size model, they have the same number of wounds. They may yeah. change that for the new edition. Um, yeah. But, I mean, Hive Tyrants now are, are far more mobile, that you can give them wings and stuff. I I love Tyranids. I think they're a blast. My biggest yeah. problems with the Tyranids in my play experience is that there are very few builds I feel like that are effective. Like I feel yeah. like you have to play one of several different types of armies. You have to play a Turvagon spam army. You have to play a Flyrant spam army. There was the Nidzilla army, which kind of fell out of a favor because Carnifexes got expensive. There was yeah. a time when Carnifexes were I could pick up a Carnifex for 115 points with like two Daka, two Devourers, and he was amazing. Um, so that that day was was great when that when that was a thing. Yeah. Um, but that kind of fell out of favor in the new codex because they, they went up to a ridiculous point cost. Um, we're not going to get into too much of this right now because I, I want to do a whole podcast about them because I love right. them and I, I think it'll be great. But they are coming up down the pike. I am excited about them. There's a lot of new rumors. One of the biggest rumors they've got right now is that it's sort of the Wave 2 release they, they talked about years ago. Um, like, for example, the Parasite of Mortrex, the Duma Malentai, um, Old One-Eye, who may or may not get a new kit. I don't think he's going to. I think they're going to keep with the old model, which, why are they doing that? But regardless of which, um, easily convertible. Yeah. Um, but they're talking about the Harpy's going to finally come out. They're going to have a dual kit with that, with a new model um, that sort of has the ability to grapple flyers, which I think is fantastic. Um, they've talked about the Spore Pod being a dual release kit, that they're going to have some sort of hive node thing where it'll be on the board and it'll basically give synapse in a certain range. Which yeah. I think is brilliant. They they needed that years ago. Um, so I'm super excited about it. Um, I can't wait because even if my Tyranid army doesn't sell, then I'll just hold on to it. I'll pump it up with a few other units, call it a day. Um, so I, I'm excited about it. I, I really hope they get a big, scary monster. Yeah, I don't know if they've talked about any sort of new thing, like any new monster, but I do feel like right. they talked about something. I, I feel like there was one rumor about one big monster. Yeah. So maybe that's where that rumor I mean, is coming from. Because I, I was really excited in the fifth, with the 5th edition book when the Trigons... Oh my god, of course. That was awesome. And the Trigon, to be fair, is a great model. Yes, um, it is. The mall, And he's a great model in play. Like He plays well, he, he's effective... The biggest problem that the Trigon ran into, in my opinion, is that you have this big model. Yeah. Here's the thing. When the Forge World Rolls came out, you could basically assault him, him into a unit by deep striking. You could yeah. deep strike on top of the unit, and it counted as an assault. And it was great. Then they got rid of that. 
to the point that now you bring the Trigon in, and he does whatever the other unit does as he sets there for a turn. Which is okay, except he's huge. And he yeah. draws a lot of fire very quickly. And even though he has six wounds, it's not that hard to chew them because he has an armor save of 3+. Right. Um, if he had an armor save of 2+, it'd be better, but he doesn't. Right. Um, and regenerate for Tyranids is predominantly a crappy power. Like, yeah. it, it basically gives you a save on a, on a 6. Old one has an exception, he gets a save on a 5. Still pretty awful. Um, not great. So, Nids just don't regenerate that fast. Um, which is okay. I don't think they necessarily should have great armor because it's just Chitin. But yes. but I, I do I do want to be able to field tons and tons of them. I, I feel like what the direction they're going in now with it is that they're going to change the hive mind quite a bit so that the powers are more reflective of sort of a scary hive mindish presence. And I've read a lot of rumors about um, sort of a bodies over bullet scenario where if you target certain units, I think you suffer a ballistic skill penalty or something like that. The idea yeah. not being that your guns are crap or that your aim is bad, but the idea being there's so many. Yeah. Uh, so they're effectively finding a way around you having to buy more models, which I think is is a win in my opinion. Yeah. For but once, it'll be interesting to see. You know, yeah, for sure. I'm excited about it. Yeah. So um, we'll we'll talk more about that in, in upcoming podcasts. Um, okay. So let's move on to the end of our show, the end game, and we'll wrap things up. We've got a few things to cover, though, unlike our normal end game where we just sort of sign off. Um, okay, a couple things. Um, first off, um, I recently wrote uh, a, a guest post on Spiky Bits. Um, Spiky Bits is, is sort of like a new bell in that it, it's a rumor site, but it also has a store. It has it hosts its own con. They've got a massive store called For the Win in Richmond, in Midlothian, Virginia. And uh, Rob Bear over there allows me to guest post articles, and I recently wrote one, which was a compilation of several months where I reviewed about 50 or so different painting services. And I primarily did this to sort of size myself up against them and see where I was. And, and I definitely learned a lot from the study, uh, and I definitely refined my business practices based on that. I'm still in the process of refining it. Yeah. Um, but I was humbled by just the number of hits. It was a really big hit. Like we had 4,000 or so clicks within the first week and we've got you know hundreds of you know quite a few comments and what i wanted to happen was i I put a link on there that said look if you're one of the owners of these services and i've misrepresented you contact me and i had several services contact me only one or two said that they felt they had been misrepresented most of them were very thankful they were just like hey thank you for doing the work on this thank you for putting it together thank you for sort of sizing up the competition, and many of them were like, look, I, I feel like what's good for one is good for all of us. So if we see where we stand, um, and I tried to be clear, I was like, I'm rating everything on here. I'm rating what I feel like is the quality of your work, but this is subjective. This is based on my opinion. It's yeah. conjecture. So you maybe you don't agree with how I rate your service. And I had a couple people call, contact me and say, I felt like you gave me a low mark. Um, and so I kind of looked back at their services and in a couple of cases I was like, you know what? I think you're, you're, you're right. I think I was low. So I upped their service ranking and I, I was like yeah. an extra star. It's, um, it's some pretty stellar research you did there. I, I was impressed. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I, I have to be honest. It was mostly for me. Like I was doing it because I wanted to see how I, Ooh, sorry. My cat was in the sink. I wanted to see how I fared against other services. And, and I felt like we, we were, we were fine. We were where we yeah. should be for a new service. 
our quality was not as great as many of the services, but was better than new services. And I felt like our prices were extremely competitive. Um, and it, yeah. was, it was a lot of fun, but it did take a lot of work. And it's important to note that I'm still putting this together. I didn't just do it and quit. Like new services that have approached me, I've, I've added them to a list. There will be a directory eventually at whitemetalgames.com under the resources section. We will add a link, um, and that link will have just all the services there listed. So it'll, it'll, if you're interested in seeing how other people paint, how other people convert, how other people charge, you'll be able to look at other services. And, and I'm kind of in agreement with the, the other services that contacted me that what's good for one is good for all. What you want is options. We don't want to yeah. hide from you. We don't want to just say, like, look, I'm the only painter out there. This is not true. Um, there's more services than we thought, but not as many as I had feared. I mean, I, I think it's safe to say that there's less than 100 miniature painting services in the whole world. This is not counting individual artists. Um, and I had a couple artists approach me, and they were like, look, you didn't evaluate individual artists. And I was like, look, if you, if you have a service, you need to post it. You, you know, if you if you're just like a guy locally, I can't rate that. Like if you're Joe Blow down the street, I can't evaluate that. Right. Um, if you don't have a site, if you don't have some sort of like way that you rate your prices, that sort of thing. So the, the goal was really just to sort of bring light to this this dark area of what I felt like was the hobby and just to see how we all fared up. And it was interesting. Yeah. I, I liked it. It was a lot of fun to do. Um. Okay, so there was that, and we will talk more about that, I think, in a future podcast, too. Um, I will finally be attending a couple cons. I've been looking into attending shows for a while now. So we've got two shows that are coming up. Um, in a few weeks, there's um, what they're calling the Southern, Southern Front, which is held in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is my hometown where I live. Um, this is a con that comes twice a year to town. It's basically a big GT, and I'll be represented there. We will be... Uh, I'll be showing product. I'll be showing things that I've made. I'll be showing painted models. Um, the only reason this might not happen is that the the guy who organizes the event is the same guy that I was supposed to buy that case off of. And I, I was like, look, I hope me not buying the case doesn't affect this. And I didn't hear back from him. So there's a small chance that he's mad and that I won't get to attend the con as a, as a vendor. Um, but hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully he doesn't hold a grudge. Um, the other one is that is going to be in Myrtle Beach, and that's not till November. So I'm going to be prepping for that. And it's interesting because I've I've been doing this stuff online for so long. This is the first time I've really sort of stepped out and decided to go to a con or a GT as a as a vendor and just say, you know, here I am, like I'm a person and yeah. I have physical wares. So I've been kind of prepping for that. I've been gathering supplies and materials, and and you don't think about this stuff till you actually start prepping for it. But you're like, how do I display my wares? Most of the stuff that I, I paint, I, I sell. They're for clients. So it's not like I have a lot here. Right. So then I have to prepare, like, basically stuff just for the show, just to sort of have on hand. Um, so that's a challenge. And even stuff like conventional stuff, like banners and advertising, that sort of thing, you have to have that. So it's interesting. I, I definitely want to talk more about that in the future. But, you know, for now, it's just kind of it's a new new step. It's a new 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 direction I'm taking, which I think will be fun. Right. Sound, sounds interesting. Wish I could attend, but... Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, and, and on your... In your end of the world, you've got, you know, you're you're so close to Chicago, we've talked about this yes. before, that we definitely... I definitely want to attempt Adepticon as a vendor, 
And I've been talking to the organizers there about being a terrain supplier for the last couple of months. But I, I get the impression from them that they're still so exhausted from the last Adepticon that they're not quite ready to talk about next year's Adepticon quite yet. Yeah. Like I've talked to them a little, but <laughs> they're still... And Gen Con is in Indianapolis, which is only a couple hours away from me. Yeah, it's funny how the two two of the biggest cons there are are right in your neck of the woods. Yeah. They're right there. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely... I know that Screaming Heretic attended there because Gen Con is a really big cosplay con. And yeah. the people I've been talking to over at Screaming Heretic are very big into cosplay. They were the ones that approached me about buying that suit of armor that didn't really work out, but... Um, so I'm, I'm eager to listen to their most recent podcast to see how Gen Con went. I know they just posted it, like episode, I don't know, 48 or something. Yeah. Uh, so I'm interested to see how that, how that event went and how it was, how it was received. Gen Con's always a big, 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 big turnout for them. Yeah. Um, and finally, on a final note, um, every year for the last couple of years, there's been some sort of charity drive, um, for, for 40 K, uh, of aficionados. So normally what these are, and they, we've seen these in the past, like the Storm Wardens Project is the one that comes to mind in my mind because it was really well documented. Um, so these are charity events where basically they, they get a whole bunch of gamers together and they put together an army. They agree on a theme, they agree on an army, and then they sort of build a list. And then at the end of the time, usually within like four or five months of when they start, they auction the auction off and the army off, and they use those proceeds to go to charity. So it's a completely voluntary event. Um, the Storm Wardens Project a few years ago raised something like five or $6,000 because the army went for a really good price. Um, it was a big army. It was like three or 4,000 points. They auctioned it off for like five or six grand. And all of that money went to charity, as far as I know, because as far as I can tell, none of the guys who supplied any of that stuff made any money off of it. Uh, but it's a good cause. It, it's it's a wonderful thing to do. Heroes for Help is a cause where they're helping um, veterans. These are yeah. veterans uh, of, of the most recent wars, and these are guys who are you know, down on their luck, that sort of thing. So they're raising money for that. Um, it's a Salamanders project, and I knew I wanted to get involved with this years ago, but this is the first opportunity I've really had a, as, a, as a miniature provider where I was like, I think I can finally just just do it. I can just... I can throw some money at this. I can build a couple units and not really worry about it. Um, so I felt good that financially I was in that position. What, I, what I'm not satisfied with is they don't really have what I would feel like is the same mojo and the same momentum that the other projects had. Like there's no official site for it. To get involved with it, I had to contact them through their Facebook page or through their YouTube page. Um, so there's no like big official movement, I feel like. I feel like it's kind of like I don't know what's the word. Sort of a, I don't know, maybe an an, an under an undercover kind of thing. Low key. Covert. Yeah, low key is a good way to put it. It's just not as big and bold. Not that it has to be, but I feel like the more publicity they get, the better the army will sell for. Yeah. Um, and, and since they're ultimately trying to raise charity, I feel like it would have behooved them to have like an official site for it, an official logo. You know, a place where you can just donate money, even if you don't contribute a unit, you can give five or ten bucks through PayPal. You know, yeah. something. Um, but I haven't seen anything like that yet. But there's still a couple months to go, so maybe they'll they'll maybe they'll get on board. Um, so I will be posting units to the Facebook page when I create them. I don't know exactly what I'm going to do yet. Right now, I've pitched around the ideas of doing like a fortification, like a salamander style fortification. Um, I've pitched around the idea of doing some flame inspired templates, like with like like uh, with flames on them from like a, yeah. I'll do them with an airbrush or something like that. 
So I'm kicking that around. Um, so it's it's good to I feel like to get involved with the community a little bit more. Yeah. And, uh, and that's that's always good though. That that always you know re- restores a little faith in humanity every time I hear about things like that with the yeah. war gaming community. Hey, we're gonna you know we're gonna all get together and you know try to donate to charity. You know, and uh, I mean there's a there's a big community. Uh, it's a video game thing, but the principle's still the same. Where every every six months or so they'll do a marathon, a game-playing marathon, and they raise money for, I think it's Doctors Without Borders. And yeah. for the past three or four years, they've got a total about a, of about a million dollars worth of that's, stuff. That's amazing. Yeah, and it's nice to see that other, you know, like you and I, our our hobby, you know, our the community you and I are a part of, does the same thing, and that's good yeah. to know. Absolutely. I mean, it's on a smaller scale, but it's also a smaller community. Right. I mean, we're... We're a niche. Yeah, absolutely. I think anything we can do is helpful, um, and, and I would love to see it, it get as big as it could. I know that yeah. they're at around 2,500 points right now, but they don't seem to show any signs of stopping. I don't know how big this army's going to get. <laughs> so I guess they have that going for them because it's not as well organized. I feel like in the old armies, they sort of stopped at around 2,500 points. Yeah. So I feel like this one's going to get big. <laughs> like, if I had to make a guess, I would say anywhere between four to 5,000. It's an apocalypse army. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it's huge. Which is actually cool, because if they go that way, maybe I could suggest an apocalypse unit. Maybe I could do something like a, a tank, or like a big tank. Like a, uh, what do they call those things? The storm... No, that's not what it's called. Uh, Space Marine Super Heavy would be a fell blade. Yeah, like one of those. One of those storm yeah. blades, or any of those. So yeah. maybe that would be fun. Um, I know I want to do something converted-ish. I know I want to do something dragon-ish. Um, I also pitched the idea of like some objective markers or something like that. Something that they need, but is not yeah. necessarily on their shopping list. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Okay, well, I think that about wraps it up. Is there anything you would like to add? I can't think of anything at the moment. Okay, cool. All right, well, Justin, thank you for the fun podcast. This has been an enjoyable look into Space Marines and what's forthcoming. And once the critics comes out and we both have time to review it, we'll have to do another one where we sort of just look at it and say, all right, did it hold up to our speculations? What went right? What went wrong? What do we think of it? Did they you know, put their money where their mouth was? That sort of thing. Yes, definitely. Um, okay, well, I guess that's about it, guys. So turn in, tune in next time. Um, hopefully we'll have either... Uh, we'll either do an in-depth review of the of the Tyranids, or maybe we'll do an in-depth review of that article on Bella Lost Souls that I did, or who knows? I know we want to do a campaign. This is one of our upcoming ones we've talked about a little bit. Yeah. Um, so maybe we'll put up a poll or something, and people can say what do, maybe people they can vote about what we want to talk about next. Yeah. Sounds great. Okay. Well, um, until next time, this is uh, this has been War Council, a podcast about 40K. My name is Caleb Dillon. And I'm Justin Jones. And until next time, put put your your minis minis where your your mouth mouth is. is. Thank you, and good night.